When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Welcome to episode 151 of the Osher Ginsberg podcast. I'll be Osher Ginsberg, you'll be you, and this episode will be with snowboarding legend Travis Rice. You can find him on Titter, Twitter, Titter, Twitter, a Titter of twits, a Twitter of tits. I don't even know what I'm saying now. You can find him on Twitter at Trav Rice, T-R-A-V-R-I-C-E. He's also on Instagram, Travis Rice. On Instagram. This episode is brought to you by the wonderful human beings that listen to the show that support on Patreon. Patreon.com slash Osho is a way that you can support the show and help the show come each and every week into your phone. Um, the people that support the show for as little as five bucks a month, you can receive exclusive episodes. And uh, But if you can't afford it, please don't uh, tend to give me anything. I'm, I'm happy to keep making the show for you. Um, but if you can... I would ask you to consider the price of a fancy cup of coffee once a month can help make sure this show gets to you every single Monday or Sunday if you live on the other side of the international dateline. Um, I hope your week was good. I hope your week is going well. I hope your week this Monday or Sunday, everything's looking ahead for you. I would like to say everybody that said hello at Amy's Grand Fondo. It's a 120-kilometre bicycle race that I went on last week. I ended up not going in the sag wagon. There you go. I ended up not going in the sag wagon. I did meet the sag wagon at the last rest stop. I met him. He was in a nice little van and he said, yep, that's me. I said, he said, don't worry, don't leave for a few more minutes yet. So I got back on my bike and I rode very quickly, but I managed to do it. Um, I met some fantastic people, uh, had a fantastic time. Uh, My plot, my cunning scheme, my cunning plan to radicalise Gigi 
the, my 12-year-old into cycling is working. Uh, her and her mum, Audrey, my fiance Audrey and uh, Gigi, went on the thing called the Family Fondo. So basically they close 120 kilometres of road around there, which is a big deal. Great Ocean Road is one of the most driven roads in the country and they closed it and it was freaking amazing to ride along it. Um, and when they close it, basically they send all the riders off in one direction and then from the finish line backwards they run um, – like the family ride, just a little ride, about three and a half k's out. They turn around and come back. So Gigi and Audrey went riding, and they were riding and riding and enjoying the Great Ocean Road and the hills and the sea and the ocean and the road. And they're like, "Yeah, we've been riding for a while." And then some bloke on a motorcycle turns up next to them and goes, "What are you What are you guys doing all the way down here? You're supposed to turn around it's about five k's back that way." Uh, yeah. So they ended up doing fourteen kilometers instead of three and a half because some rocket surgeon decided to move the U-turn point. So, uh, yeah, they went and it was great. Great road with 5,600 people. Uh, it's not unlike when you run a marathon and you're all doing the same thing, experiencing the forest of the Otway Ranges, which is incredible. There's so much life up there. But experiencing that forest without the sound of car noise was amazing. It was just the sound of, of kind of people <laughs> push their bicycles and themselves up these, up these mountains um, and just the occasional click-clack of gear changes, it was just beautiful. Freaking cold, though. Boy, had to have been about three degrees. The rain must have been – it was that kind of wet, horizontally rain. It was so cold up the top, man. But, you know, with the, the, the teams that were looking after us at the rest stops were all very good and there was plenty of places to have a, have a drink and eat something and – just kept going and I really enjoyed it. What was fascinating is I tricked my brain. Normally when I ride a long distance or run a long distance, I've got some sort of GPS tracking thing on my watch or my phone or whatever. And I've tended to notice that I obsess about the distance and then my brain takes that distance and goes, oh, 46 kilometres, 120 to go. Oh, your legs are a bit tired. You won't even make 50 and my brain just goes for it. So instead I, I left my GPS thing just on um, my heart rate my pedal strokes per minute, which is important when you're cycling, is to keep a higher cadence. And um, the, the time of day, because the roads were closing behind us as we went. The, they were reopening, I should say, to traffic. So all I really did was just concentrate on keeping my heart rate in this particular area where I know it. I can just keep riding. As long as I keep eating, I can keep riding. I uh, didn't push myself up into uh, the kind of anaerobic threshold bit. And it was all right. It was actually really pleasant, not obsessing over the distance. I liked it. It was good. Um, what was the other thing that happened this week? Oh, I did a week without my smartphone. Uh, the things you do for breakfast radio, huh? Uh, so the team at Hit 105 in Brisbane, the breakfast show I do, they um, challenged, we challenged each other basically to go a week without smartphones. And I had a brick phone that I put my SIM card into and I went without because it's very difficult, if not impossible, to transfer numbers from an iPhone to a brick phone. So I, I went without being able to text people because I couldn't, I didn't know anybody's numbers. I went being without uh, texting people and I had no Twitter or Instagram or Facebook or email on my phone. It was really peaceful the whole week. Besides, the, the bad part was that I had to stand around on street corners waving at cabs, and I haven't done that since Uber came out. So about an hour of my week was just waving at, at cabs, trying to get them to stop for me, and, where are you going? No, 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 change over, mate. All that shit that I haven't had to deal with since Uber came out. 
So uh, that was weird and made me very grateful. When I got back on my phone today, it made me very grateful to be <laughs> back on my phone because Uber makes all the difference. But um, I, uh, I found myself being really calm and, and noticing a lot more about the world and feeling a lot more present. And um, I guess there's a few things that I've been trying to do to keep my mind and everything to calm down and not be freaked out too much. And I found it to be really helpful and I'm looking forward to um, being a, being more disciplined about my phone and seeing what things I really need on there because some things I just really I don't need on my phone. Some things I don't need to have on my phone. Um, probably Twitter is the big one. I don't need Twitter on my phone. Um, yeah, it was uh, it was pretty good. It was pretty 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 good. I have to give away some access to exclusive episodes. Oh, that's the other thing that happened from being on it. I I slept really well. I slept really well not being on a smartphone because I'm not checking it right late till night, you know. Uh, I'm not looking to see who's on Snapchat, who's on Instagram, what's going on, what's going on. I just read my book and go to sleep. I pick up my phone and go, well, I've set the alarm on it. There's nothing else I can do on it. I guess I'll just go to sleep. That was That was good. Actually, that was really good. So I might—I was thinking about the possibility of doing a week on, a week off. That might be something I could try. Um, but, yeah, I definitely noticed to be I was more relaxed, I was more calm, I was more present, and I slept well, and that was, that was good. I do have to give away access to some exclusive episodes. Each week I give away the uh, access to the entire set of exclusive episodes as they stand to a random reviewer on iTunes. It is incredibly helpful for this show if you review the show on iTunes as well as download it for some reason, the way that the algorithm works is a combination of reviews and downloads. And uh, I went from not being on the charts at all to being uh, four places higher than my friend Rich Roll. So that was nice. Uh, but, you know, then Rich Roll's Rich Roll. He's an ultra marathon, le- ultra marathon legend in the plant power world. And I'm just me. But still. It was nice for a day. So let me just quickly, I've got to, I've got to give two away. So let me just go here. What's there? This is from, oh, come on, man. The username is Bujnawabfunavnavnavnavnavnavnavnavnavnavnavnavnavnavnavnavnavnavnavnavnavnavnavnavnavnavnavnavnavnavnavnavnavnavnavnavnavnavnavnavnavnavnavnavnavnavn
Usher is a charming interviewer. I don't know why I've just suddenly gone Irish, warm and genuinely interested in the subjects. Now I'm Scottish. But it's the degree of personal honesty from the interviewer, not just his interviewees and the conversations which gives these a point of difference. And really do make it seem as if though you're sitting in a comfy chair, having a nice cup of tea. Now I'm the bad guy from Peaky Blinders. Having a nice cup of tea and listening to a couple of friends. Lovely listening. I really would like to apologize for the seven accents that I just did. There's a reason I don't do impressions on the radio. And now you've just heard it. KiwiDoc71, thank you so much. That's a very sweet, sweet uh, review. Uh, if you would like access to those um, exclusives and you uh, haven't or can't, for whatever reason, I don't mind um, uh, c- contributing on Patreon. Send a review. Anything after the 15th of September will count. And... Uh, We'll uh, try and get the podcast to you. Right, so let me tell you about my guest today. I am so excited about this guest, okay, because he's one of the most legendary humans that I've yet met, and I've met some great people. Travis Rice is his name. He is easily one of the most talented and influential athletes to have ever strapped on a snowboard. Uh, He grew up in uh, Jackson Hole. Wyoming, and is the son of a ski patroller and basically has changed what it is to do backcountry free riding, big mountain uh, snowboarding. Uh, this man conquers mountains, literally conquers mountains, and he's extraordinary to, to, to witness. And since his explosion onto the international scene at the age of 18 where he basically, he tells the story in the show actually, he basically rolled up uninvited at a massive uh, competition and uh, proceeded to blow away some of the best writers in the world. And they were like, who is this kid? Like, seriously, he's like a teen movie, the way it played out. Uh, But since he did that at the age of 18, Travis has pretty much been pushing boundaries and challenging gravity on mountains all around the world. As a film producer, this is the other part I really like about him, he's behind the most successful snowboarding film of all time. Uh, Watch the trailer if you want, because you'll just go, holy shit! The film is called The Art of Flight. It is an incredibly beautiful, exquisite film that happens to have snowboarding in it. And he's got a brand new movie out in Australia right now. It's called The Fourth Phase, The Fourth Phase of Water. He goes on to explain that in this show. Uh, And he told me it is apparently the most expensive action sports film ever made, and I wouldn't doubt it because he has a penchant for taking massive cameras, the kind of things that they only use in studios to shoot Lord of the Rings, and drags them way, way, way out in the wilderness and hangs them off of um, gyroscopic uh, mounts on the bottom end of helicopters and uh, just basically captures extraordinary footage. But the new film really showcases his snowboarding. It's an, it's an effortless style that is as effortless as it is death-defying. But what's really great about him is how his vision for how he translates the experience of snowboarding, of being who he is, onto film and allowing you and me as mere mortals to experience it is a thing that sets him apart from other athletes. Like I said, the new movie is called The Fourth Phase. It's out in Australian cinemas now. And, in fact, we get to see it in cinemas before, cinema, we get to see it in cinemas before the rest of the world uh, and – here you can see the film how Travis intended on the big screen. Um, here you can see it in absolutely incredible 4K visuals. It was all shot in 4K cameras and surround sound. Uh, it's all been mastered in a, in, a, in a new form of surround sound. It's incredibly exciting. Uh, 
it came out last Thursday. So if you go, it's Monday today. If you go today, you'll still see it. If you go this week, you'll still see the film. It's called The Fourth Phase. It's in event cinemas, I think in about 15 screens around the country. So it's on a limited release. You are probably going to have to go to your not regular theatre to see it. Uh, But even if you're not into action sports, if you're not into snowboarding, um, it's an incredibly interesting film because basically the premise of the movie is they they follow the North Pacific storm cycle around the world and um, see how the hydrological cycle of the the ocean, the you know evaporation up into the cloud and the cloud to down into the snow onto the mountain, how that cycle travels around the world, how that same sample of water will travel from that mountain back down to the ocean and then you know around around the world. It's it's a freaking incredible film. Uh, if you can't get to the theatre, there is another way to watch it. In a, uh, in a, I think it's a global event. Um, the film will premiere on Red Bull TV, nine PM Eastern Standard Time, on October the second. It's a one-time screening. It's free. You can watch it on the Red Bull TV website or access the app on multiple devices. You know, your smartphone, your smart TV. Uh, there's tune-in parties happening all over the world. Um, from big venues to snowboarding stores to living rooms to backyards. So you can watch it for free, but that's you watching it on your little phone. But I'm going to go see it in the theatre, <laughs> okay, because uh, Art of Flight, I think I must have watched Art of Flight about 50 times. It's that a be- it's that beautiful a film. The cinematography is that beautiful. Uh, it just happens to have snowboarding in it, and it's shot in some of the parts of the world that, unfortunately, as Travis discusses, won't ever look like that again. Uh, due to climate change. So it's an exceptional film. Uh, Travis is a really humble man. It's not often that I can say I meet a true warrior poet, but I I truly believe that that is what Travis is. Uh, He's a fierce, combative performer when it comes to dropping down the face of a 12,000-foot mountain 100,000 million miles away from help. Um, in avalanche danger and all kinds of other perilous situations. But then when he and I start to talk about it, when he starts to talk about the spirituality of what he does, oh, man, I, I, I don't know how much he talks about this stuff, but it's a pretty special conversation. And I, I'm so happy that he and I had this conversation and I'm so lucky that I can bring it to you. If you like what he has to say, let him know. Travis Rice on Instagram, Trav Rice on Twitter. It really helps the show when you let the people that, uh, are on the show no because then they go oh yeah I took an hour out of my day to go talk to that chump uh, a word of uh, warning about the sound we did record this in a casino which is where the premiere was in Australia they played it to I think a thousand people in the big room at uh, the Star Casino in, in Sydney so you will occasionally hear pokies going off and people going woo because they won pokey money we'll do a whole other episode about gambling but this is the wonderful and fantastic Travis Rice, go see the film. It's called The Fourth Phase. Google it. Go check it out. It's at Event Cinemas around Australia. This is Travis Rice. Thanks, man. Thanks for this. Dude, no problem. How you doing? I'm good. You've been off a plane for what, seven hours? Uh, I've been off a plane for, yeah, just about seven hours. Where'd you come in from? Um, we came in from Vancouver. Uh, yeah, we came in from, uh, Vancouver. Sorry, are we recording? Yeah. Okay, perfect. Ciao. We just, okay, so three days ago we did our world premiere in Los Angeles and then banged up to Vancouver 
last night. Um, super good showing. I mean, Vancouver, you know, at the precipice to British Columbia, uh, I like to call it the windward side of America's hat, <laughs> Canada. Um, it was a snowboarders premiere. There's so right. many, so many shredders up there. Uh, yeah. They came down from Whistler and such. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we know a lot of people up there, so so we had, we had a great show. Actually went sailing. Got it like two hours out on uh, English English Bay. Lovely. Which is right. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's not quite it's not quite Sydney, but it's still a beautiful. Oh come on, it's a beautiful there. part of the world. They've invented <laughs> new shades of green to put in Vancouver. Amen. They I, really did. I like the way you put that. When I first went there, I, was, I just could not quite believe, especially that island that sits out off there. There's like these thousand-year-old trees just hanging off that island, you know? It's glorious out there. Yeah, Vancouver Island? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely beautiful. And then you got on a plane and you came straight here? Yeah. We actually, we actually went, presented the film, and then just I watched like five minute, minutes of it just to make sure the sound was good, and we bounced straight to the airport. Direct flight? Direct flight. Nice. Direct flight, straight from, yeah, 16 hours. Straight off the plane, straight into the pool at icebergs. Yep. Yeah, man, we're, we're just, you know, trying to keep it Shake going. Shake off the cobwebs. <laughs> we're, we're, we're playing this tour uh, with inertia. Yeah. You know, we get the ball rolling, we yeah. just got to keep it going. And you're just going to keep heading, heading west? Um, yeah. Well, what do you reckon? You got Asia next? What do you think? I, I feel like Tokyo might be a few degrees east. A little bit, but yeah. same time zone. So same, you're all right. It is exactly yeah, same time. Yeah, so you're okay. All right. That's so, why when you snowboard there as an Australian, it's actually, you don't lose a day. No kidding. Because like, it's straight north. As an Australian, when you go to, you go to like LA and then you go on the plane to Vancouver or you go to Colorado or something, you're just, your first day is just toast. <laughs> yeah. Because you should, you're like asleep. Well, and traveling east is the worst way to go. Ever. We're going west. Good, so. good. Well, we sit here in the middle of it. We're at a bar in the middle of the casino. So occasionally, I've been sitting here for about half an hour while I was waiting for you. Occasionally, you'll hear a poker machine go off, mm -hmm. making some sort of noises, and someone gets very excited because I've just won some cash. Yeah, no, it seems like a real, a real flash place, man. It's pretty sweet. It's a long way from where you grew up, if I'm not mistaken, Wyoming? Yeah, Wyoming. Um, Wyoming is home majority, majority of the year. Um, I actually have been spending more and more time down, uh, I should say, up south in, uh, in your southern hemisphere. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Which, I, li I live on a boat part-time of the year. As you do? Yeah. Uh, French Polynesia. Oh, fantastic. Yes. Um, which I guess inevitably leads uh, this way, uh, as far as on a sailboat, with the trades pushing, pushing this way and the fact that you can only stay so long until you get kicked out. <laughs> What does the harbour master come up and say? It's time to go for you. Um, almost. Well, you, you get like a three-year, three-year. You know, you, you're allowed to chill, and then after that, they're like, okay, forty percent of your boat worth. Something. It's something crazy like that. If you want to stay, then you have to, you know, actually like pay to import the thing. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah so they, they keep you moving, or you got to you know leave for six months, um, get a passport stamp, and. Paper, you know, docu vessel documentation stamp before you come back. So this leads me to the first question I want to ask you. A lot of people here, the first time, as an Australian, the first time you see snow is often not if you didn't grow up in the mountains here. It's probably until you're older. Mm -hmm. You grew up in the mountains. When was the first time that you saw beach? Um, well, I was uh, so I was lucky because my my mom's parents um, 
my grandfather, he was like, he's a colonel in the Air Force down in Miami. Oh. So I, I, you know, every now and then in the summers, I got to go down and spend a little time in Florida. Uh-huh. So it was still kind of this, this, uh, you know, this, this special kind of relic, going to the ocean, you know, a couple, t- couple weeks out of the year. Yeah. You know, it was, and I think that kind of instilled this, this kind of fantastic um, longing that still, you know, there's nothing take it granted nothing that I take grant for granted on the ocean. Yeah. So I'm, I'm thinking like, when, how old were you when you first started sailing? You know, I was able to, uh, up in, uh, we had a little cabin up in Michigan on the Great Lakes mm-hmm. and uh, used to race little sunfishes on the lakes. And so that, but, you know, I was like 16. Um, my dad got uh, interested. He always wanted to f- kind of figure out how to sail and actually do distance and be on a sailboat. And so we kind of partnered in quarter owners on this little 24-foot trimaran and started sailing out to the Bahamas. Because if there's one thing that's more expensive than snowboarding, it's sailing. Amen to that. Sweet Jesus. Uh, it's yeah. like throwing money on a fire. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Which then, of course, you know, the fire just grows. Because <laughs> yeah. you can go to the hardware store and get a U-bolt and it costs you 20 cents. Maritime? Oh, no, 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 no. That's four bucks. <laughs> yeah, try 40 for yeah, a U-bolt. Exactly. Minimum. For sure. As we, as we stare at the, I mean, a pretty serious uh, boating, yachting culture in, here in Australia. In, right? Absolutely. Especially if you go out on the West Coast as well. Uh, okay. And uh, if you go north from here to Townsville and, and Cairns and stuff, where there's more of a gateway to the Pacific Islands. Yeah. Absolutely. People do a lot of sailing from there. Okay. Over to uh, uh, French Polynesia or New Caledonia or mm-hmm. uh, Christmas Islands, or maybe even as far as Fiji, if you want. Amazing. Certainly a lot up around PNG and Port Moresby and stuff like that through the Torres Strait. Yeah. It's pretty wild out there, though. But I'm, I'm guessing between uh, your, your father, who's a ski patroller, and your, you know, your time out in the ocean as a teenager, because here's the thing. You try not to die for a living. <laughs> I mean, that's one way to put it. Yeah. The things you do, people come to watch your films mm-hmm. because they're like, I would never do that. I'm going to watch someone else try and do that. That's a terrifying thing this person's doing. They're doing it, so I don't have to. I hope I feel an emotional experience mm-hmm. while doing so. Phew, I'm safe in my cinema seat. All right? But <laughs> pretty early on, you learn, I'm guessing you learn like a healthy respect for nature and how, how fragile life is, I'm sure. Um, I did, but I, I still got to say that you know, it wasn't until you kind of fly the coop, even for me, you know, because, yeah, whatever, you're with dad, you know, up on the mountain, you're younger. Yeah. Um, even backpacking, you know, you, you still, it's, it's not until you don't have the guy who you can look to for the, oh, shit, what do I do? As soon as that guy's out of your life, then, then, then that starts to kick in. Okay. But your father was uh, a ski patroller. Do you have the stash? Uh, no, he was stashless. Although there were many a stash on the on the ski patrol. And so when when you 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 grow up on the mountain, do you like get a pass with it, and you just like the brat that hangs around the mountain? Oh, for sure. The, the ski, yeah. Growing up on the mountain, yeah, you're like the ski patrol kid that you know you you spend all day following the ski patrol around and listening to calls and listening to whatever they're doing. And so inevitably, yeah, I remember like me and a couple buddies were you know ten years old going around and actually like. You know, occasionally like reprimanding people. <laughs> you know, just because it's what you do. It's My not, dad's in the ski patrol. Yeah, no more like, hey, you can't go there, it's closed, or, you know, I don't know something. Of course, I look back and I laugh because 
you were on skates at that point. Yep. Yeah. You know, I got to say, I still think skier at heart because uh, it's how I look, learned to look at the mountain. Um, you know, growing up on skis, the problem was is that I never grew the appreciation for like the simplicity of the turn on ski. I mean, skiing was quite frankly pretty boring for me. Uh, it was only when it was a pow day that, yeah, all right, this is fun. I I, I dig this, but uh, I think that's why the first time I tried skis and why I wanted to. I'm sorry, the first time I tried snowboarding, why I wanted to was uh, because skiing I, I was boring. This is kind of, you know. You're just perfectly symmetrical. You're just standing there on skis. And um, when I first started snowboarding, it, it was challenging. It was really difficult. And the art of just connecting a turn, you know, edge to edge, and like kind of the yeah, the Zen principles that come with it. I mean, you spend a lifetime trying to perfect the turn, and I still find so much enjoyment in trying to draw a line down even a you know a resort groomer even though the snow's terrible uh, edge to edge really and so i think that's at the root of why i love to still snowboard that is it like a golf swing that perfect golf swing you're chasing i think it's a great great example just yeah. that that perfect s shape in the snow behind you <clears throat> the perfect s shape but it's more of the it's not just the s shape right it's it's how the s shape's integrated onto the mountain because Quite often, it's not the perfect pitch, right? And so it's, it's where you're deciding to turn. You know, it, 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 it's not just the consecutive turns and getting it, it dialed. It's how you integrate the turns into the, the breakaways and the change in undulation for the terrain. Because, you know, you do it in the right places and you can really, you know, you can kind of pump the mountain for speed. Um, yeah, so, so it's always changing. Do you remember a time when you uh, were just like, you were just, just, you would have been pretty young, but anyone that's ever spent any time, I can only relate from, I started snowboarding quite late. I was like 25, 26, I'm 42 now. Um, but I definitely remember when I used to body surf, that was just a wave, that was just a wave, that was just a wave, then suddenly, oh, that's a left. And suddenly I could see the, start to see the difference in how the wave's working and, and now I can you know, tell the difference quite well. Do you remember a day where you just became Neo in the Matrix and poof, the mountain unlocked and you could just <laughs> see lines drawing down the mountain? I remember when I was, uh, when I was younger. I, I probably started, didn't start snowboarding until I think I was like 12. But I remember before that, for, for several years, uh, just being on skis and thinking that uh, uh, everything was capable. Literally, you know, you think you could just ski everything, anything. Like being like a young kid and even watching, you know, old ski films like Warren Miller stuff and and just thinking, yeah, it's freaking easy, right? You know, skiing on powder, like, sure, you do anything. <laughs> this <know>. is Travis. <laughs> <laughs> He's so, a 12-year-old from Jackson Hole, Wyoming. <laughs> With a digga 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 all the music in the background. <laughs> um... Yeah, I don't know. It just was. Uh, it was. It was second nature. Yeah, and then and then I kind of threw the wrench in the program, started snowboarding. Took a couple of years to get back to feeling that same way on a snowboard. Took a took a long time. But are you like that now when you're assessing? Say, for example, in this film, you're going to places that some people have never been ridden. Are you when you're looking at an aerial photograph? Are you able to unlock what's going on? Yep, I I think pretty instantly. You know, okay, look at just say a. a a still photo of a face, right? A face I've never seen before. 
you look at it and you know automatically your eye goes to like okay where the prominent lines are do they go through um you know the safe safety elements of the drop in you know where your exits are cuz you know the the repetition of of assessing a face quite often in a very short amount of time um especially if you bring it to like a place like Alaska where you're flying you know 100 miles an hour in a helicopter looking for good stuff it's you, you know you get a glance and you got to assess the entire thing um if you're going to make the decision to all right hold up let's turn it around let's, let's look at this you know and then you got to decide to you know there's kind of there's a lot of you throw a lot of money on on those projects and often you're in a you know weather window that is somewhat small and you know you got all the camera guys out there so and yeah, a thousand yeah. bucks of jet fuel going every, uh, yeah, every you few just, minutes. Yeah, totally. I mean, the twenties <laughs> are just fl- you know flicking out the out the tail. So, try to make quick you know quick decisions on assessing if you want to put your energy into something or not. Then then after that, you know, we we take our time as as much as we can. Right. Um, if I could rewind just a sec, there's a famous story about you. You're at home. You're in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and you're 18 years old, and you go. I heard about this competition in Mammoth, California, and you got in your car and you drove across the country and you blew everyone's heads clean off in the snowboarding world. <laughs> what, what happened that day that you decided to go? Do you remember? Yeah, I do. So, so the event was called uh, <clears throat> Super Park. And what was cool was it wasn't really, it wasn't really a competition. It was like a, it was a gathering. But it was invite only, and I, I didn't have an in, invitation. Um, but uh, actually, a guy who's kind of in this new film, the fourth phase, uh, Brian Aguchi, he kind of actually sets the the precedent for the the journey, really, in the film. Anyways, he he uh, he talked me into coming down with him because he felt he could talk the guy who was putting the event on um, into allowing me to come in. So he was invited. He he was invited. Uh, I was not, <laughs> and so I kind of hopped in his car and went down on a whim of like, it's really gonna suck if I can't get into this thing. And so it came down to like literally there, gear on, not sure if I was gonna be led onto the hill because it was private for this event. And finally, yeah, it was a bit of a pushover, I guess, or something, because uh, Brian convinced him to let me on. And so it was like a week, a week of riding, a lot of different features, and um, I ended up. I ended up getting a, a tap on the shoulder because you ride all week and then the last day and there was probably about 110 120 guys kind of this particular event like all the pros from around the world came and I, I got the tap along with maybe five or six other people to come up and do this evening shoot um, you know sunset the golden light that's that's the money and go up and there was this underneath the chairlift which we i'd been looking at all week long there was a feature that uh it's a hip right so you kind of take off a a straight jump uh, and then you land sideways and you can go five feet you can go 20 feet you can go um whatever but there was a landing at the end of it that didn't really look like it was possible basically i just eyed this thing up and was like all right you know what uh I think it's doable. And, you know, light was setting. I told one of the filmers, hey, I'm going to try to hit this thing. And basically <laughs> ended up just bombing into this thing and actually made it over 
It was like 120 feet or something. Made it over. <laughs> was like, oh God, thank you. And uh, hit it a few more times and got like a backside 180 and a back rodeo over it and ended up getting MVP of Super Park uh, basically because of that. And then uh, that evening got asked if I wanted to try to put together a video part because the guy who had been filming uh, was a filmmaker and you know a, a few things just continue to uh, I guess work you know right place right time yeah. and everything kind of came into alignment had, anything, had you hit anything that big uh, at home? Um, you know no, no. That was by far the biggest thing I'd, I'd hit. Had you done any kind of prep for that sort of, that sort of size? Um, I mean, I'd hit, I'd hit some. I mean, I'd hit a lot of smaller jumps. Yeah. But definitely nothing, nothing like that. It, it was definitely a, uh, you know, throw caution to the wind. And uh, for some reason, uh, I don't know. I was feeling it <laughs> at the time, and uh, you just, you just knew. I just, I suppose so, man. I, I, I saw it as being possible. I, I looked at it and I just, it wasn't something where I was like, ah, you know what, who knows if this is going to work. I'll give it a go. It was like, I, I know that this is possible. You just need the right amount of speed. And the lip was really kicky, so you just had to, you know, man through the transition. And, uh, yeah, you know, I had youth on my side. <laughs> so give gave her. It's extraordinary, though, how so many people, whether it's in you know, your field of, of, of you know, athletics or, for example, uh, say, for example, a writer or a performer, they do have that moment where they just went, no, 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 I can do this. And they <laughs> reached out and they went out and found the opportunity rather than waiting for the opportunity to come to them, that you went with your friend and went, no, 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 I can handle myself around this. 120 of the best writers on the planet. I can do that. <laughs> I mean... I look back and there's there's definitely quite a f there's several pivotal you know pivotal moments that you know it just everything just came together yeah perfect um, and I really believe that you know you have help like I I had help through it um, And yeah, it kind of set me off on whatever the course yeah. I'm talking with you here today, you know, in part because of that happened. Then. What kind of help are you talking about? Divine help, man. Just, uh, you know, the universe wants nothing to, to give. And uh, it's, it's, a, it's, a benevolent, it's a benevolent place that we live. Have you seen other examples of this happening in your life? Uh, I, you know, I see it all the time. Yeah? I really do. I, I see it all the time. Um, and just the way things work out. And I think part of it is just, you know, for me is almost just a shift in how you look at things. Uh, you know, when something doesn't go, you know, it's so easy to like hang on to your plan and expectations. And when something doesn't go how you're planning on it. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. You know, it's too easy. The, the natural kind of knee jerk reaction is, oh, you know what? Damn it. You know, <laughs> uh, this situation is screwed. Um, but I, I find that, you know, for quite some time, I've been riding every one of those little instances where it's like, oh, okay, all right, this is exciting. I wonder why <laughs> this thing didn't, didn't follow through. Why didn't um, something you thought was going to happen happen? And it, it always ends up uh, connecting into some other <laughs> like purposeful, amazing thing. So by opening your mindset at uh, a hindrance or an obstacle to, oh, now something else is going to happen rather than, fuck, that was a thing I was going to do. Fuck everything. The world sucks. This guy, that guy, I hate everybody. It's, oh, well, what do I get to do now? I mean, full on. It's, it's like a choose your own adventure ride and uh, you know, like those old books. I don't know. Choose your- <laughs> I'm um, old. Don't worry. Uh, <laughs> and... It really, like, look, this film is a prime example. Um, <clears throat> the fourth phase, this, this film, what we set out to do in the beginning and what ended up happening in the end, uh, the way this film turned out was not necessarily at all what we had planned on making in the beginning. Um, <clears throat> certain ele- elements of it, um, you know, certain intentions through what we wanted to portray and having a more honest film, those things carried through, but what, what really happened was a result of everything not working out how we expected it to, but riding it through and, and just seeing it through with positive intention and a good attitude, and, and that's what, what happened in the film is basically what happened. Not everyone listening to this is going to be making their own a groundbreaking snowboarding film or jumping off a cornice in, you know, north of the Arctic Circle, but everyone is going to face uh, a difficulty, an obstacle. What would you say to them, like, listening today, if there's something that isn't going their way today, what's a way that they could go through it and go, what would Travis do? <laughs> I, I've tried this many times, but I really think you can find, you can find something good in every situation even the worst even like you know i get injured or something just sucks i I i'm I'm still able to always find some beneficial element is that the same say for example when you were discussing earlier where you look on a mountain face to turn is do you do you even look there oh i was going to turn there i can't turn there now that'll probably collapse on me where do i get to turn now does it even come down to that kind of granularity I think that there's, yeah, I think that there's no exceptions. Um, yeah, because look, we, we get to choose how we, you know, interpret anything that happens to us. You know, we're, there's no such thing as a victim. And so taking that power and taking that ownership, um, that's freeing. Fuck, man. It took me a long time to come to anything <laughs> close to what you've got. How old were you when you figured this out? <clears throat> I mean, <laughs> this has been a, a process. Yeah. But, uh, it still is. Uh, it, it still is a process. 
um, I don't know, you know, the past 10 years slowly developing. Yeah, it, just a, whatever, a better understanding. Does it have something, I mean, when you look at those, I don't know, whoever is your shopper pilot and whoever is shooting you from those helicopters, if there was, you know, Oscars for that kind of stuff, when you see, you know, the shots of you guys like standing like a fucking, you know, Richie Sambora guitar solo on top of these gigantic mountains, you know, there's got to be some sort of reverence, some sort of reverent moment that touches you at those moments. Uh, there is, and it's, it's so much of it too is, is not the, not the standout moments either. Um, you know, it, it's, it's fantastic, but it's, it's not always the like riding away from the, you know, the conquered line, right? I mean, yeah, that, that's what like comes off on film grade and, um, you know, that hero shot of, yeah, like you said, standing up on the mountain is great, but it's pretty hot. <laughs> pretty hot, I mean. Yeah, and then when you get the chopper doing that kind of inverted dive, like in Out of Flight, that's uh, yeah, pretty yeah. hot. <laughs> yeah, no, the showstoppers. Those are definitely our money moments, right? But um, I think those, those like re reverent elements um, you're talking about, uh, so much are, are the subtleties in between. Uh, these like transitional times kind of fade in, fade out when you all of a sudden, um, I find most, most of the time, there are those moments where you know you're in transition in between things and you're just kind of allowing yourself to be there and all of a sudden you just look up and you know simply take in where you're at or uh, you know the beauty of the way the light's coming through the trees or it's always so subtle um, for me the, those are the most reverent moments do you, uh, do you feel uh, you mentioned being out on the ocean do you feel do you feel a humility when you're around something like that, around that nature being that majestic? I feel, uh, I feel just overwhelming, I think, joy and gratitude. Um, I just, there's like this inner smile <laughs> in those moments. Um, the humility comes in to uh, any time, for me, any time it's... Uh, you're bringing in the scale of the situation you're in, um, which oftentimes has to do like out on a boat when, uh, you know, conditions aren't ideal or storm rolling through or, you know, getting dropped off up on a mountain or, or hiking up one for, for that matter. And when that, uh, those kind of primal feel feelings of dude, <laughs> be on it right now. Cause, um, you know, it's when fear starts to kind of tickle. Right. I think that's like the, the, when I feel humility. And that's yeah, fantastic. There's a, a fascinating book by a guy called, um, uh, oh, fuck, I've forgotten his name right now, but it's a book called The Art of uh, um, Deep Survival. Lawrence Gonzalez is the name of the guy. Okay. He basically went through all these uh, survival situations and basically figured out the psychological effects of who lives, who dies, why. Some people can walk away from a plane crash, some, why some people walk away from mountaineer, mountaineering accidents, or why you know, an experienced army ranger with 27 years of service will, will die in a really stupid mm -hmm. you know, way um, because of the way his brain works. And he talks about a thing called go fever that a lot of mountaineers get. 
that they've all planned on this climb. We're here at Denali. We're going to go. We're going to go. We've got this weekend. It's Labor Day weekend. We've got to go. We've got to go. We've got to go. They get to 8,000 feet and the sign says, whatever you do, do not go up. It's going to be terrible. And they go, we've only got two days and we all have to be back at our jobs. We're going. And then all 11 of them die. Do you ever feel that? I mean, you're, like you mentioned before, you're burning money. You've got helicopter pilots, jet fuel. You've got expensive cameras. Everybody's there. You've got this tiny window of weather. Have you ever faced that? Have you ever faced the... Is it, are you where you are because you know when to not go rather than when to go? I mean, w- no doubt about it. We're in the game of go fever, <laughs> for sure. It's a NASA term, by the way, go fever. Yeah. When they're doing those 1,500-point checklists. Okay. And they go, no, go, 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 no, go. They're like, oh, fuck, we're at 1,462. Come on, just give me a go. They're sitting on the, they're sitting on the launch pad. They're yeah. ready to go. Um, and then someone dies, basically. I mean, look, there's no doubt about it. Uh, in what we do and probably so many similarities, uh, similar you know, pursuits, it is always much more difficult to step down than it is to push forward. Uh, when you're up there and you're working towards something, I mean, sure, it takes, it takes a little balls, takes some confidence to go, but it, it's, it's pulling back in a situation where everything is set up and you've worked towards uh, committing to that. It, it's always the more difficult decision. <clears throat> and, you know, I, I, I feel that, I mean, over the past you know, three films that we've done, uh, <clears throat> that's it, that's all, uh, The Art of Flight, and then just now the fourth phase, I mean, we've dealt with this all, all the time, especially being a you know, film crew chasing weather windows uh, to be able to shoot. And I, I think it's a testament to our ability to step down. I mean, the reason I'm still here, <laughs> you know, the reason uh, we haven't had any serious injury or casualty for that matter in any of our productions is um, trying to honor that. We do our best to honor that. Um, and you know, quite often it's the situation where, yeah, it, 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 it takes a series of bad decisions. You know, it's rarely just the one. One bad decision and, and eclipse you. It's, it's always a series of bad decisions because there are so many signs and clues if you're you know, open enough to listening to them. And Quite frankly, there's actually a prime, a, a prime uh, part of the film, the fourth phase, where I, I break, I break my chain of um, decision making. I, I make a couple bad decisions, and and I get punished for it. And we see the consequences. Well, obviously not horrible because you're here. I mean, I am here, but uh, but you know, you'll, you'll see it in the film. It'll be very obvious uh, when this when this section of the film. Um, pops in and you know it once again yeah it, it is a it is a pretty terrible situation but you know still it was incredible and I wouldn't I wouldn't trade it in you, you certainly seem to again you just underlined this idea that you see possibility where others see difficulty and that you've just reframed something that was bad that happened into this is great. We can make parts of our film out of this. This is this is going to be good. And I remember that classic line from the Art of Light: "What the fuck planet are you from?" <laughs> the <laughs> yeah. helicopter pilot. Sure. Um, is it that looking for possibility as well that is uh, that has got you where you are? Do you think it is? It is a combination of sheer determination and uh, an unrelentless drive to do everything we can to achieve our goals. 
and I, th I think it's a combination of of that drive as well as being open to stepping down because you know if you were to talk with some of my crew they'd probably tell you that um you know it, it's often probably tough working with me because i do push and i do drive because i i try to push situations as far as i think i can um until either you know the the signs are blaringly you know obviously pointing us in a different direction or telling us to stand down <clears throat> but so much of the time i apply that um you know, you get shut down doing something and it's like, oh, okay, great. All right, so we weren't meant to do that. Instead, we're gonna go over here and do this. And I think a lot of, a lot of people might just stop at that one shutdown. And I think the reason that oh, I'm here talking to you today, the reason we finished the fourth phase, the reason the art of flight came to fruition was probably just due to uh, an unwillingness to, to give up because <laughs> so, so many of our best shots and our best sessions, it seems to always happen at the end. It seems to always happen that last day, like that last final, you know, effort that we gave to, to, to finish something. So rather than the bad stuff happening because of seven bad decisions or five bad decisions, I can't remember what it was. It's those five or seven pushing through decisions that get you to that point. Uh, I think so, yeah. Um, because I, I'll tell you, man, it, it, it's not like, you know, it's, I, don't, I don't mean to paint a miss, you know, the wrong portrait of, of myself and how I act in the backcountry because I'm not necessarily out there in, in full lotus, just, you know, in, in an ohm. Like, you haven't got time. Wa waiting for like... It's winter, know, the sun's going to... Is sit. there a decision, you know? Okay, you know what? This doesn't feel right, guys. I mean, I'm very much out there like, all right, let's go. Yeah. Like, okay, <laughs> we got one hour, let's do this. Yeah. Oh, this weather, this, 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 this. We, we got this. You know, yeah. I mean, I push, I push. Yeah. I, no doubt about it. Um, so it, it's trying to find that balance. Right. There's a, a baseball player by the name of... Um, uh, A-Rod, Alex Rodriguez, yep. who uh, he works with a coach called Jim Fannin, who's his, basically his psychological guy. And A-Rod came to Jim when he was with the Texas Rangers and Jim says, what do you want to do? And he says, I want to be, I want to sign to the New York Yankees for $250 million and I want to do it by, you know, 2003 or whenever he signed it. And Jim said, okay, great. Uh, let's figure it out. And between his baseball coach and Jim, who did his uh, kind of sports psychology stuff, that got him all the way there. And on the and part of his vision was, and I want to accept the check on uh, David Letterman's Tonight Show. And that's exactly what happened five years later. A part of that thing was um, Jim broke it all down and said, I just need you to keep remembering what you're best in the world at. What are you best in the world at? What are you best in the world at? I'm good at interviews. No, no, no. What are you best in the world at? Oh, I'm really good when I go out on the home plate. No, no, no. What are you best in the world at? And he says, I hit... I hit hard, I hit the center of the ball hard with an accelerated bat. That's what I'm best in the world at. Everything else is everything else, but when it comes down to it, that's the thing I do better than anyone else in the world. If you had to think about what it is that you do better than anyone else in the world, what would you say it is? Well, I, I love how you put that whole thing because it's specific. Yeah. And I've found over the years that, you know, when it comes time to manifest an idea into existence or even to say, ask universe for help, man, you've got to be specific. You got to be extremely specific. 
Um, what, what would I say that I am the best at? I would say I am, I am the best at taking a brutal slam and getting up with, without anything wrong. Because uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a damn fine snowboarder, but I'm fucking really good at crashing and getting back up. And, and quite frankly, yes, it's my snowboarding that's got me where I am today, but I think more than that, it's uh, my ability to... I mean, I, I've, I've never really had to sit out with a, a, an injury during the season. I've been... Look, I've gotten lots of bumps and bruises, and I've even had a couple little, uh, little surgeries, little you know cleans. But um, I mean, I've ridden, I've ridden through every single one of my uh, winters since I started, and it's I think that consistency and being able to ride and staying healthy that's uh, really helped me achieve what I have. So it's the getting up after the fall, climbing back up the hill, and doing it again, rather than the thing that you do on the hill as you're going down. It's the other stuff you say. Um, yeah, it's, it's getting back up and, and trying it again, uh, combined with the physical ability, I guess, to, yeah. uh, to take a fall. When that's it, that's all came out pretty much everyone that had ever made an action sports film just went, Oh fuck, what do I do now? And then other <laughs> fly came out everyone goes, all right, that's it. I'm done. <laughs> um, did you get much feedback from other people in the community going, what are you guys doing taking these kind of cameras up there? I mean, we got a lot of beautiful, sarcastic shit over it, <laughs> for sure. Um, because I, let me tell you, you take the really nice stuff up into the mountains. A lot of people wouldn't take cameras that nice up there. No, it is a, it is a real pain in the ass bringing quality uh, production equipment into the cold and sometimes <laughs> can feel heartless backcountry. Um, it, it takes a lot of effort. <laughs> yeah. It's worth it. I mean, when, yeah, when, when everything comes together, it, it's totally worth it. And, you know, but it is a different program altogether. I, I grew up, you know, doing these films where, yeah, you got a filmer, one filmer, maybe two filmers if, you know, you're really doing something. And even then, uh, you know, we're shooting 16 millimeter film. The cameras are pretty small. You don't have to really deal with batteries and, um, you know, fast forward now. And it's, yeah, using these cameras that, that sure, they can go into the backcountry, but they're designed for studio use. Um, and it just takes, it takes a different approach. And there's pros and cons that come with it. I mean, you know, A, there's so many pros and cons. Uh, you know, you're, you're very much, uh, much more limited to what you're able to do and achieve. Uh, you know, you can, do, you can focus on one thing a day or maybe two. And you got to plan it out like a week in advance and know where you're going to be and what you're going to do. Which, you know, with a light operation, boom, you're, you're easy. You can shoot from the hip. You know, conditions change, light changes, you can run around, uh, it's more productive. Um, but when we do get a shot, when things do come together, um, the way we're able to capture it is why I think what you were just getting at with people uh, <laughs> scratching their heads after the first couple films, um, because it's beautiful. It's, it's a much more immersive experience. And that's, I think, really what we set out to do with That's It, That's All in the very beginning was... You know, I was tired of spending an entire year working on a film segment, 
and not being able to feel like I could convey what it's like at all to be out in these mountains, in these locations. We go to these beautiful places and yet there's like a, you know, a little shot, an action shot where you never get to take in your surroundings. And so with the aerial units and with uh, the way we're trying to shoot them, it's, you know, you bring the viewer along. And isn't it, you know, it, it's always been about further immersion, you know, more immersion through the experience of, of uh, the viewer. Mm. I mean, that's why 3D's making a play. That's why you know that holograms coming after 3D. So. Holographic snowboarding films? Um, <laughs> yeah, it's inevitable. <laughs> I mean, it's inevitable. When are you going to get the VR goggles on, man? To um, the Oculus thing. Is that coming for the next film? I mean, it's, it's still kind of this, you know, boutique thing, right? Yeah, like, it it's an moment. experience. And, yeah. Um, I don't know. We, we've already shot VR pieces. Um, even for this film, we went up and shot a day up in Alaska with, Go, with GoPro. Um, you know, GoPro is already selling a, VR, a GoPro VR rig. Oh, so um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's nuts with their cameras and the quality of it. It's already there. It's, you are probably, though, one of the, the first generation. I mean, when I was growing up going to ski fields. I was skiing as a teenager and then I snowboarded much later on, but no one was taking cameras up into the mountains. You even, you know, just people couldn't do it. But now you mentioned, you go up to the mountains now, everyone can shoot uh, at least 1080p, if not 4K, with their handheld device that's in their hand. And like the ability for people to capture and edit and make their own films is, it just wasn't there 15, 20 years ago. It just didn't exist. When you turn around now and you see the people that, for example, um, what, Art of Flight was 2012, so four, four years ago. So 14-year-old mm -hmm. kids who've now got a job and got some cash and are now making money, they're like 18, 19. When you see the stuff they are making, does it make you go, brilliant, this sport is going to be awesome? Yeah, I mean, I think, I, I have full faith that, you know, the, you know, the ball's being passed, the baton's being passed to the next generation because they're going to be creative, they're going to, you know, have to be resourceful because look, I mean, okay. Yes. Yes. It was a, a badass core film. Um, that's it. That's all. Uh, and the art of flight, but it definitely rested on the laurels of, you know, how incredible the cameras were, how we shot and the fact that the snowboarding was really good. Um, <clears throat> but even that, you know, you can't you can't carry that for that long and i think that's one of the reasons when we set out to do this film the fourth phase we didn't want to make the art of flight too um felt like we 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 did that and i wanted to challenge our team and our team wanted to challenge themselves as well to trying to do a film that uh brought in a little bit more of a, a story arc that brought in these other themes that played into a little bit deeper reasons of why we do it. And I mean, this is a much more personal film, quite frankly. Um, and I, you know, I want to say that because I, I think it circles back to now with the fact that you can shoot a, a 4K film for very, very little money. I mean, you can get the stabilized handheld GoPro and all of a sudden you can shoot shots that are better than, a, you know, a million dollar aerial rig can get. Can get because you can get close and you can have it be immersive. Um, I think it, it pushes people like films created the full indie film world where some of the most fantastic films, creative, uh, you know, heart uh, are, are, are made by people that are 
creative and have a good idea and no budget. And I really think that's the, the other side of the coin with, you know, even the film that we just did. Man, you can make an, you can make a film and have an incredibly compelling story and not have to put in more than, you know, who knows, ten, twenty thousand dollars if you're really frugal. Um, so I think it's 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 there. It's open for anyone that has the creativity and the will to make it. And because so many people do have, because the barrier to entry is so low now, the things that will shine through really will be the ones that are just really, really good. And that's, you know, they'll be chosen by the audience, which is the other really interesting thing about when you look at these massive YouTube channels, they're actually really good because you can't fool 3 million subscribers. <laughs> you know, you can probably fool 30,000. Mm-hmm. You can't film 3 million, which is, which is really interesting how the audience self-selects now more mm-hmm. and more. Which, when it comes to developing kind of um, digital content. Um, surfers and snowboarders are uh, unique in that they know more about meteorology and weather patterns than most pretty much anybody. Um, <laughs> they can see clouds and go, oh, yeah, two days from now it's going to be... <laughs> I mean, out of necessity, right? <laughs> <laughs> so this film involved you doing a lot of weather pattern studying as always when you are filming. You're always looking at weather patterns and seeing when things are going to come in. But you were, you're following weather around the North Pacific... What was the thing that surprised you the most about studying those weather systems? I think, I think what, what surprised me the most was just how, how much motion and how much recirculation there really is. I mean, <clears throat> so take, you know, take with our film, the fourth phase, we took a closer look at how the hydrological cycle of the North Pacific um, ties in and is basically you know, um, go as far as say the greatest solar engine on the planet. Um, the fact that you have this oceanic gyre, North Pacific gyre in this instance, which at its fastest points, you're having um, the same same sample of water uh, going a full clockwise rotation around the North Pacific Ocean in three years, which is actually why we paired our film with being three years of production. Uh, we thought it was really appropriate. And so, you know, the massive currents that flow westward from, you know, North America, just north of the border, north of the equator, all the way over until they hit the bend in the river and are forced up into Japan. Um, I sailed for quite a while along um, one of these currents and uh, just, you know, even noting in every 100 miles, the surface temperature was going up half a degree Fahrenheit. Um, so it's, it's just this huge solar collection from east to west. And all that heat energy um, is trapped, gets pushed up into the North Pacific and is really the fuel that uh, these storms that we need that coat our mountains uh, up in Alaska all the way out to where we live in Wyoming. Uh, also the same storms that are you know, producing great surf, sending great waves to, you know, Hawaii and the whole uh, western <laughs> seaboard of North America. And we live in Wyoming where we are on the continental divide of North America. And so we are essentially at the furthest uh, stage, the furthest part of this reciprocating cycle. And, you know, taking a, a bigger, deeper look at how this whole rotation plays in uh, is a big part of the film. And that's kind of on the macro level. And then uh, we also took a little further look into the micro level 
um, about halfway through filming, I, I stumbled on the research of this guy, Dr. Gerald Pollack. He's a bioengineer uh, out of University of Washington. And he actually wrote a book called The Fourth Phase of Water, which in this book, he breaks down that there is in fact a fourth state of water, which is something that scientists have been um, hypothesizing for almost 200 years. So not a solid, not a gas, not a liquid. Oh, no, it's not, it's not, it's three. Yeah, yeah. So, no, you no, got, so not a solid, which is ice, not a liquid, which is water, not a gas, which is yes, steam. Yes. Oh. Um, and so, you know, basically it's, it's been, there's been unexp unexplainable properties of water that no one has been able to, you know, they're, they're oddities, these like quagmires. And um, Pollock basically puts forth, um, you know, his findings, he's 15 years of working on it. And it's funny, read his book and, you know, you just read things some, sometimes and they just make sense. Um, and for me, it was that. If you want the simplified version, you know, take a look at his, he's got a great TED talk on the fourth, the fourth phase of water. Um, <clears throat> and so I think that, that had a, a very, it had an impact on myself and once I shared it with our whole team. And so I ended up cold calling him and setting up a, a dinner. I flew up to Seattle and sat down and had a dinner with him and talked it through with him. You know, I read his book and, hey, man. Um, and I asked him if, uh, I'm like, man, we're making this film. It's kind of about water. Um, do you mind if we use, you know, the fourth phase of water, your title, as title of our film? And we talked it through for a little while and he was like, all right, yeah. He basically gave me the blessing to, uh, to use this title. So that is actually why the film is called The Fourth Phase. Fantastic. That is fantastic. Anyone, though, anyone studying weather systems that carefully would no doubt see that they are indeed changing. Someone who is paying close attention to the weather for most of your entire life would certainly be noticing things. When you were identifying, you know, the different patterns around the Pacific and how they all tie into, tidy into each other, were you getting a sense of things, ooh, this is probably not great? I mean, <clears throat> look, there's, there's no doubt. The last three years of our production, one of the reasons it also took us three years was just how um, strange uh, global weather has been, especially the last three years in the, in the locations that we went to. We, we experienced really challenging conditions almost everywhere we went, completely out of the norm. Um, <clears throat> I think the, the most prime example of it was this year, this year in Alaska, from January 1st through the end of May, uh, not only was it the warmest five months in a row ever recorded, but it was, I think, 12 degrees over normal. Every month was, was 12 degrees Fahrenheit um, over the average, global average. And um, we actually ended up getting shut down almost a month early this year because spring came so early. I mean, look, there's no doubt, you know, yeah, sure, climate change is, of course it's real. And it's such... Once again, an incredible gift. It really is. I think, I think global climate change is, is really actually beautiful. It's this perfect thing that it's the only way that we're going to stop polluting our waters, polluting our air, figure out a, a better and cleaner way to exist. Because without it, I mean, are we going to change? Are we going to stop drilling for oil? Are we going to you know, stop making single-use plastics? Are we going to stop you know, uh, with the amount of packaging that goes in and on everything? No. It's, it's just... It's this beautiful, perfect setup. Glo I think. I think global. I think climate change should 
should win an award. <laughs> I, I wish I could have you. <laughs> I will remember you, uh, the glint in your eye when you said that, because you're right, though. You're right. There's nothing that's going to get different societies and cultures across the planet to unite, such as a, a unified challenge. No, it, it's a it, necessity. It, it does suck that it is, for me, well, I'll say it, it is, it, for me, it is... It sucks that it's going to have to take something like this, which will cause such a problem for so many people. But I feel, in many ways, I feel you're right, that the only option on the other side of it is freaking amazing. Because that's the only option there is. I mean, yeah, is, is it tragic? Is it going to cause famine? Are probably millions of people going to be affected or die? Yes, without doubt. Um, and with that, you know, Yes, get involved, do what you can, but at the same time, um, don't dwell on the on the, the negativity of it because it you you I, I find what you put out you receive and it all is this kind of accumulated um, you know, we're basically a sum of all of our own attitudes. And I think, you know, continuing to stay optimistic and positive and you know, I just, I believe in the power of manifestation. And when you also break down, you know, what is normal? Because we have this idea of what is normal. You know, we, we look back, what, a couple hundred years in our records and we're like, this is the way that it is. Like, this is, this is the level of the ocean. This is the average temperature. But when you start to zoom out and look at, you know, true Earth history, man, there's no normal. I mean, you look back 30,000 years and, you know, you have some people saying that the oceans were as low as 430 feet lower than they are today. Um, you know, you've got a, a lot of signs that point to... Uh, and I, I mean, I have no idea, but you have a lot of signs pointing to the fact that this is actually potentially jump-starting a uh, shift into a colder, that this is going to jump shift into a colder weather pattern. Um, winter is coming. Winter is coming. This is good for snowboarding. It's good news for way. you. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> I mean, bottom line, we don't know, but... But I, I'm, I'm really grateful to hear the way you look at that because as someone who's often out in these incredibly fragile environments and these ecosystems that exist on these tiny nuances of temperature where a tree will either flower or not flower or uh, an animal will hibernate or not hibernate when you're in those areas and you see it out all the time when your job, day to day, you're out there. For someone who does that and is at the face of it every day to have that as an attitude that makes me feel really good, man. Thank you. Hey, I mean... Yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, you have some fantastic team who, though you can't see them, are running around behind you uh, telling me it's time for us to stop talking. But I can't tell you how grateful I am for this, man. Well, hey, I appreciate you taking the time to, to wrap with me. Um, man, I'm really, I'm really grateful. And what the thing about the art of flight, which I really loved, is that I would show it to people who'd never seen a snow film before and they couldn't believe what they were watching. It just happened to have snowboarding in it, but they're watching this extraordinarily beautiful mm picture of all the countries that you went to and the way that you captured it and I'm, I can't wait to see the same in this film like this is the kind of thing I'll go to a 12 year old girl I, I'll be able to take her to this movie 
because I know that visually she'll be blown away. It won't be like a snowboarding video when I was a kid, which was punk songs from a band I'd never heard of and some dudes in Dayglow doing something sure. illegal. You know? Yeah. No, fair <laughs> enough, fair enough. It's going to be great. Well, yeah, it, it's definitely a little different. You know, I, I, I would say uh, I would implore you to not bring your expectations, um, <laughs> although we all have them. It's, it's been an incredible ride and, you know, I got to give it a, a shout out right now to the team that made this film. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm just this, you know, figurehead uh, of this film. But we had such an incredible team um, that, you know, this film would have never been made had the amount of effort put in and um, across the board from our filmers, all the writers that came out to support it, um, you know, and especially our sponsors. I mean... Look, this is probably one of the biggest budget, you know, action sports films that's ever been made. And, I, you know, the amount of gratitude I have for companies, you know, taking a chance to, to fund it and get behind it and support it. Um, you know, Rebel Media House, the fact that they are able to, to take that type of gamble. Because shooting snowboarding is a gamble. It is a gamble. Um, and while we probably do about as good as the house does here. Yeah, the which casino. Yeah. Majority of the time. We're, we're, we're taking it. We're, we're, we're on top. But still, those are, those are some not the best odds. Um, and so, yeah, uh, you know, if, if you want to see this film, the best way to see this film is, you know, well, if you don't have a ticket to tonight's premiere, um, is to come out and on October 2nd, October 2nd, it's going to be uh, streaming live to the world. Uh, it's going to be on redbull.tv and... It's going to be at 8.30 p.m. It's time-stamped, so wherever you are, even Australia, east coast to west coast, 8.30 p.m. on October 2nd. Uh, and I implore you again to find your buddy who's got the best screen, the best sound system, <laughs> and the best damn internet connection. And, uh, yeah, I hope you enjoy. Thank you so much, Travis. Yeah, thanks for your time. No worries, man. I'm just going to shoot your photo real quick, okay? Perfect. Sweet. Thank you. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.